Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Apologies for that uh, interruption. It's the uh, usual problem with getting various types of different media platforms to work and to work upon. So let's get straight to my colleague, Nicholas Lorimer, who is the in-house expert and probably expert par excellence on all things American election. Uh, Nick, are you, are you there and welcome? Uh, sorry, it, it seems like <laughs> he's gone again. Um, I, the reason I'm speaking uh, to Nick is because he studies the American elections in extraordinary detail and he knows who the candidates are, why they're there, what they're going to do, or what they're not likely to do, and what the potential problems are. And what I really wanted to ask him about um, was whether the elections in the circumstances that we now know are a surprise in that they ended up in what they call a red trickle as opposed to a, as opposed to a red wave. Now, the red wave was the indication that the Republicans were going to make a real surge into taking certainly the House of Representatives, which was the equivalent of our National Assembly, and possibly the uh, Senate. It would have been a, a tighter margin in the uh, in, in the Senate. Sorry, bear with me. Apparently, uh, we now have the problem with unmuting. That's uh, I love it. You know, um, things never get better to depending no matter how much you, <laughs> you end up using them it's incredible hi hi, sorry. hi nick right I've, I've i've punted you as the expert to end all experts on the american elections and perhaps i could start by asking that whether everyone sort of seems to now be saying that what was anticipated to be a wave of success by the republicans the red wave became effectively the red trickle well, what we were expecting, um, based a lot on the environment, there were a lot of good reasons to think that Republicans were going to have a good night on Tuesday. Uh, the economy is not doing so great with lots of inflation at the moment, some of the highest America has seen in decades. The sitting president, Joe Biden, is not super popular, and his Democratic Party uh, was expected to bear some of the brunt of that unpopularity. And um, Republicans seemed quite enthusiastic to vote. Traditionally speaking, in these midterms, so the election in between presidential elections, uh, the, the party that's not holding the presidency tends to do quite well. Since I think the beginning of the 20th century, the majority, the vast majority of midterm elections have gone well for the opposition party and badly for the party with the presidency. But... Um, what we seem to have seen is a much more interesting result in many ways this time. Rather than there being the predicted, as you said, red wave, we got much more of a kind of mixed scrambled eggs, dog's breakfast kind of a result. And in fact, it's so mixed and so odd that uh, we still don't actually know who controls the House of Representatives. Um, it's expected to be the Republicans. Uh, they are currently leading, there are, you need 218 seats to control the House of Representatives, which is half of the, mm -hmm. the legislature in the US. And the Republicans have, con have been projected to win at least 215. But there's still a couple of seats that are too close to call. And uh, the final projections are now showing the Republicans may be up only uh, by one or two seats, which is a tiny majority and the kind of thing that um, is very difficult to hold together in the very uh, fractious American political system. Can I, can so, I just ask, can I just ask you quickly, uh, Nick? Um, 
why has it taken so long for these seats to be counted? I mean, it, it kind of, you know, America, the land of the free, the brave, and the technologically superb, there's still uh, uh, seats, out, you know, counting outstanding, what, a week later? Yeah, so as as it differs from state to state because every single state has its own system for why it runs elections for how it runs elections mm -hmm. rather but one of them is uh, one of the things that happens is there's a lot of the votes are mailed in mm. um, because in the US has been this trend over the past couple of election cycles to make it easier and easier and easier to vote uh, so they have lots of options for early voting they have lots of options for mail in voting and absentee voting and all that kind of stuff uh, and as a result people start voting sometimes a month before the actual election begins. Mm -hmm. Now, as you can imagine, there are some problems with this. You know, you don't want someone just making up votes and stuffing them in mailboxes and that kind of thing. So there are lots of verification checks that need to be done on every single ballot. And it, like I said, it differs from state to state, but this often really, really slows down the counting process mm. because you can count all the votes from the day pretty quickly, but then the mail-in votes have to be verified every single time to make sure that it's not a fraudulent vote. Mm. And that slows it way down. And also, quite frankly, um, I think some of these states are sort of under-resourced, particularly in the West, which is mm. where a lot of the outstanding states are, uh, sorry, elections are, mm. particularly California. California is a very big state, but because it tends to vote one way, or at least it has voted mostly one way for the last some 20 years, more than, I think that there hasn't been that much pressure on them to get their system up and running. Mm -hmm. After the mess that was the 2000 elections voting system in Florida, mm -hmm. Florida really reformed their system and got it so that all the results come in really quickly and it's very efficient. California, under no such pressure, um, has kind mm -hmm. of, I think, just let things slip. And mm -hmm. as a result, it takes forever to vote, to count votes there. Because uh, one interesting comment I read or heard from on a podcast about it was that pre-election ballots now comprise about 30% of, of the votes. And so, and, and as you say, take longer to count. So what, what the commentator was saying is that effectively they no longer have an election day. It's become an election yeah. period. It's more like election month mm. <laughs> in some places. Um, and and uh, this is often exploited by various political figures running who will do their best to, um, if they think they're going to have an embarrassing moment or a bad debate or something, they'll push it as close to the end of the election as possible so that as many people have voted before the debate mm, happens. Mm, mm. Okay, well that, that's that's interesting. I mean, essentially, the the, the rest, of, most of the rest of the world, even the third world, is running elections more efficiently than the Americans by the sound of things. I understand that the things that sort of started to favour the Democrats were, firstly, apparently they spent over three times as much on the elections, on on pr promoting candidates, on advertising, etc., than the Republicans did, which suggests a level of uh, of complacency. Well, the, the Democrats have been very good at setting up fundraising operations over the last couple of years. Uh, so their system is really pulling in um, donations from all across their voting base. But in particular, this time, the fears that many states would lose access to abortion um, after the Supreme Court ruling in uh, Dobbs v. Jackson, mm. which said that rather than, than abortion being a constitutional right, it's up to each state to decide uh, whether whether it's legal or not. Uh, and that that 
triggered a wave of fundraising across mm. the Democratic Party. And they were able to, off the back of that issue, raise an absolutely enormous sum of money, which has definitely helped them this time. Because mm. I gather, and it's probably linked to this, this, this issue, which strikes me as kind of amazing, but it brought in a lot of young candidates, I'm uh, sorry, not young candidates, youngish voters, in other words, people under the age of 35. It's a sort of issue, uh, sort of more social justice side that they would have been attracted by. Right. The, the, in the lead up to this, the Democrats did a number of things. They uh, issued a what is considered to be probably a bit of an unconstitutional order to get rid of student debt, to uh, mm. abolish all student debt, mm. which amongst um, university graduates or university dropouts in the US is a very popular move. Uh, and they also freed a lot of people from prison who were there on only marijuana convictions, marijuana mm -hmm. possession convictions. Mm -hmm. um, but that seems to have uh, at least generated some enthusiasm amongst those types of voters, those younger voters who then came out and helped them in a lot of places to go over the line. And what, what do you think about the fact that in, in, in sort of typical, perhaps, shall we say, left party politics way, they kept punting the line that if the Republicans came in, it would be the end of democracy, which is quite uh, amusing given the fact that the, that, uh, the Democrats have shown some very anti-democratic uh, inclinations of late. To what extent do you think that played into it one way or the other? I think that was actually one of the primary Democrats' trump cards here, and one of oh, the good grief. Uh, not to use not, not to use the right one, and uh, the, the the pun there. But um, and and honestly, this all flows from the fact that one of the big themes of this election is uh, Donald Trump's continued insistence that 2020 was stolen, mm -hmm. and every single Republican candidate who wanted to win a contested primary and wanted Trump's endorsement needed to say something along those lines. Mm. And so some of the Republican candidates like Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania or alternatively, um, uh, I think, uh, some of the Secretary of State positions across the U.S. essentially said that had they been around in the 2020 election, uh, they would not have certified those results for their state. And in mm. fact, they would have uh, uh, interfered in the election because they believe it was stolen. Mm. And that threat to mess with the electoral rules I think really did motivate a lot of people to say, uh, you know, we may not like the Democrats, but we also really don't want someone playing silly buggers with our electoral mm. rules. Mm. And at the end of the day, you know, as you say, like this trend of 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 parties saying, um, oh, it's the end of democracy. It's kind of become a, a, a theme in American politics where every single midterm election this happens. Mm. Um, <laughs> someone <laughs> says that democracy is on the ballot. Uh, but for the first time, I think, there was a perception amongst voters that this, in fact, might be the case. Mm. Um, whether that's true or not is irrelevant. Uh, it was. It definitely hurt the Republicans in this case. <laughs> I'd like to look at that in more in more detail. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Nick, to come back to the Republicans and and their culpability in what happened, it seems. Uh, I just read a quote from a. This guy, a middle-aged woman in America, a Republican voter, who on on anywhere other than the Senate where she had to vote, um, she voted Republican as she normally did. But she wasn't prepared to support a, the Republican candidate because the Republican candidate was spouting the line about Trump's the election in 2020 having been stolen and being illegitimate. 
it seems like that certainly with the let's call the the, the middle the center the middle ground the swing voters or the independents that that was kind of that was a step too far that had enough with the election was stolen thing yeah no that's definitely the case um what's very interesting about this election is that the early data seems to suggest that amongst minorities so particularly hispanics and black americans uh the republicans actually performed better than they have for a long time mm-hmm. um i think black americans have maybe some of the best they've performed since uh, since the 60s and 70s 50s maybe even um and yet independents were so turned off by some mm. of the election stuff that it didn't matter. It didn't matter whether you were, you know, scoring 14% of the black vote, which is unusual for the Republicans, mm. um, because uh, the, if the independents swing against you in American elections, then that's the end of it for you. Mm. Um, and I think on the Republican side, there was quite a lot of complacency in general. They believed mm. that the environment would carry them over. Um, they said, we just need to talk about inflation enough uh, and then voters won't really care about anything else. And there was reason to think that, right? Uh, every single poll mm. showed that people's number one issue is the economy, um, at least when asked. But I think it's, uh, and that Republicans were more popular in the economy than Democrats were. Mm. But I think uh, this kind of shows one of the possible uh, shortcomings of polls is that sometimes people don't straightforwardly say, um, I may care about the economy most, but in this election, I'm voting on this. Mm. It's, a, it's a tricky thing to, to, to get right. Mm. Um, I think my, uh, uh, perhaps the, I, I, I don't know if I'm wrong, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Perhaps one of the most uh, sobering lessons for the Republicans to learn from this is that almost to a man, the candidates specifically supported by Trump did badly. Some of them were real for want of a, nut, a better expression, nut jobs. Um, and so it suddenly put Trump in the, it, it, his, his, his popularity, his, 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 uh, the idea of him being the sort of god of the Republican future was severely dented. And he then went and, well, he, during the, 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 uh, in the weeks before, he, he uh, belittled Ron DeSantis, the uh, governor of, um, of Florida, and you know, in the childish way that only um, only only Trump can do. And Ron DeSantis is a is a guy who, in his first election, scraped by with one percent of the vote. And in this election, did two things. One is he got twenty percent more of the vote, and the other is he captured Dade County, which had traditionally, certainly for a long time, been a a, um, a, a, a democratic area because it was largely it's largely a Hispanic area. Might we see, I think, the important end of Trump as a potential candidate for the, for the presidential elections in 2024? So many analysts have counted Trump out and said, surely at this point he's finished. Um, and it's never come true. But I do think that this is one of the biggest blows to his control of the Republican Party uh, mm. since, since he's actually um, was the nominee in 2016. Um, the, the story sort of goes like this. Trump, when he becomes a Republican Party nominee in 2016, uh, is actually not that in control of the party. He only gets about 40% of the primary vote. But during his presidency, his control of the, over the Republican Party increased massively. Um, it increased to the point where he was essentially, as you say, the undisputed sort of God King. And there was no one willing to challenge him. Mm-hmm. Um, every time someone tried, Trump would tweet out about them. A lot of the conservative media would get behind Trump and that person's political career would be over. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, this this primary season seemed to only confirm that anyone who was even slightly anti-Trumpy in the primaries got uh, got hammered and often chucked out by the Republican Party. But um, as you say, his main potential opponent, which is Ron DeSantis, uh, did extremely well. While a lot of candidates that he was very fond on, uh, for example. There's a, there's a character called Lauren Bobert, who is from Colorado's third district. She's uh, from, so she represents quite a rural area of Colorado. It's, it's generally a very Republican area, votes Republican by at least six points mm. or so. Um, she may lose her election or uh, win with a very, very tiny majority um, because a lot of voters were turned off by some of the stuff she said and some of the, uh, the closeness to Trump. So... I think it's clear, it's it's pretty conclusive that, that um, unless Trump is on the ballot himself, he can't motivate a huge number of voters to come out and vote for his chosen candidates. Mm. And that suggests that he's maybe an electoral li- a very serious electoral liability. After all, uh, he, the Republicans did badly in 2018, they lost mm. 2020, and now they may technically win the House this time, but it's by an incredibly disappointing majority mm. um, with, with uh, very few seats to spare. Mm. And they've lost the Senate already, which mm-hmm. looks like it's confirmed to be in the Democrats' hands. So um, I think the fight is on in the Republican Party now. There's going to be a pretty brutal civil war. I'm not foolish enough to suggest who's going to win it. Trump may once again crush all his opponents and emerge victorious within the Republican Party, but I think there will be at least a struggle. Mm-hmm. Well, perhaps putting him back on Twitter might be a benefit to the Republicans who don't want Trump because he's he's uh, putting his foot in his mouth might be less appealing on this occasion, and and certainly I mean the the one extraordinary uh, um, I think it was at Pennsylvania where where Dr. Uh, Mahmoud Oz stood the the TV personality who's been who was essentially created by uh, Oprah Winfrey. Um, Real, you know, came across extremely, extremely badly. He was a Trump nominee, and his opponent was a was a, a, a hard left winger who had suffered a severe stroke. And apparently, according to a podcast I was listening to, started a, a debate by saying good night. So, you know, it's, it's like it's 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 like C grade Hollywood. Right, and this is part of the part of the the evidence to suggest that Trump was an electoral liability, right? Mm. Here was a candidate who was probably far more left-wing than most uh, in Pennsylvanian independents. Uh, here was a candidate who had suffered a major health condition in May of this year and refused to drop out of the race and uh, continues to suffer from the from the ability, for example, to not um, properly, he, he can't interpret speech audible mm, mm. stuff. So he's, you know, this was a serious health event for him. These are normally sort of the death sentence for for, for a candidate, uh, things like this. And yet, uh, Mehmet Oz was such a poor candidate and considered to be so close to Trump uh, that, in fact, <laughs> he, he, uh, he wasn't able to win the election in Pennsylvania. In fact, it was he, he did even worse than some of his polling suggested. Um, the results currently, they've almost finished counting all of the votes in Pennsylvania. I think there's about 2% remaining. And Fetterman, uh, uh, who's the guy, the Democratic yeah. candidate, has 51% of Mohammed Oz's 47%. This is a state that 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 uh, that's even slightly worse than Trump got in 2020 in in Pennsylvania. So I think it really shows that um, there are some powerful forces at work here, and it doesn't matter what the local conditions are. Um, if you were seen as very close to Trump, you really couldn't 
do that well. Interesting. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Um, Nick, one of the things I just wanted to raise with you, not directly related to the actual election, but I suppose the consequence of, of it, and particularly in relation to the uh, scenario with Trump, is that I gather that the, the, the Republicans are starting to question the position of somebody like Mitch McConnell. I forgot what his, his position is in... in um, Senate Minority uh, Leader. Okay, Senate Minority Leader. So high up position. He's, I think he's in his 80s, if I'm not mistaken. And there was one other position that, that is starting to open to question. And mightn't this be what starts to make a difference heading up to 2024 in the, se- in the sense of what people are really doing is rebelling a bit, or possibly rebelling against the status quo and the tendency not to look at, or over the last few years, not to look at the political landscape with a, a cold enough, clear enough eye and, and with too much being held in regard to Trump's supposed, um, Trump's populism as opposed to what people are really thinking and how people are rationally responding to what's happening around them. So I think we've seen quite a lot of uh, blame casting from sort of all the sides in the Republican Party about who, who's to blame here. And some of the some of the attacks um, from the Trump camp have opened up and said that the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell didn't give enough resources to some mm. of these Senate candidates, and and that's therefore he's to blame and he should be chucked out and a more Trumpy candidate uh, put put in charge there. Um, but at the same time, uh, the, the McConnell camp is not directly saying it because they're too scared to challenge Trump directly. Mm. Um, that Trump was sitting on a huge pile of money that he didn't give to Senate candidates, and and is is to blame for some of these election losses. I think, I'm not sure, you know, Ron DeSantis suggests that there may be a a way for the Republican Party to move forward beyond this. Um, He takes some elements of Trumpism, uh, if you can, if if there is such a thing, and and, um, incorporates it into that sort of more old fashioned um, Republican attitude Mm. towards governance, uh, focusing on things like competence and individual liberty kind of stuff, um, but at the same time, including some of Trump's culture war things. So I think he does suggest a path forward for the Republicans. Um, whether they'll take it or not, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, like I said, that I think that very much remains to be seen. Mm. And we're only really going to know on the day in which um, one of the Republican candidates, whoever it may be, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, or even someone else, secures mm. the nomination in, in, in 2024, mm. 2023. Yeah, I mean, my sense, maybe I'm just being sort of an optimistic outsider, but my sense from people's responses to what they were presented with um, was that the, the beat that the, the Republicans are, are missing is perhaps the common sense, classical liberal approaches to things, uh, you know, a firm line, not taking a, a not taking an absurd line like the, uh, and persisting with this absurd line like, like the uh, cheating on the elections, etc., that to come out on clearly on, on the issues that affect people without that sort of potential to swing between common sense and complete and complete idiocy would would reap rewards for the for, for the Republicans in the long you know, going into the future. So I think there was actually quite an attempt to talk about some of those issues, like, for example, inflation, which is which is a mm. big one, and crime as well, mm. which is another issue the Democrats have, have fumbled quite badly. 
and and yet the negatives were such that as yes. long as you talked a little bit about some of these other issues that that anyone was about, even if you focused mainly on inflation, voters didn't hear that. Yeah, voters only heard the if you were crazy ten percent of the time and completely reasonable ninety percent of the time, um, your opponent was very capable of putting out enough ads to show your ten percent crazy as being like a hundred percent crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I I think it's it's it just shows how I think poisonous some of these issues were to them is mm. that. Even though almost all of their campaigns, the Republicans focused their campaign on things like uh, reducing inflation, um, on bringing down crime levels, which is actually not a great promise to make if you're running for a federal office in the mm. U.S. because most of the police services are local. Mm -hmm. um, okay, but awesome. nevertheless, <laughs> it was something that was probably going to resonate with a lot of voters. Mm. And yet, uh, this didn't really seem to help that much. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of talk that right near the end of the campaign that the crime message had had worked uh, and that the Republicans had now, after a bit of a wobble, had secured their lead. Mm. Um, but evidently from these results, we're seeing that wasn't the case. Mm. Well, presumably, and um, lastly, other than to uh, thank you for being here, is to say that if, uh, if Joe Biden or Kamala Harris are either one of them is the candidate for the Democrats in 2024, um, the Republicans... It's their it's a Republican election to lose. Well, well, that's that's the untalked about story of this, which is that if the Democrats had done badly, there may have been a possibility that Joe Biden may have been challenged uh, for presidency mm. for control of the Democratic Party. But with the surprisingly good result, I have a feeling there's going to be very few people afraid to challenge Joe Biden uh, in 2024 okay. from the Democratic side. Oh, good grief. Nick, thank you very much for coming on. Apologies for the connection uh, problems. And uh, we will speak to you again about or not about elections uh, sometime in the future. Thanks, Laura. Cheers. And to listeners, sorry, because of those uh, connection problems, we've gone to the end of time. Thank you for joining us. And, uh, yeah, you know, we perhaps we run elections more commonsensically than the Americans do. Isn't that a thought? See you next week.